So, I really kind of like the way these two chapters kind of came together um, because chapter 19 and 20 talk about replacing leaders and reproducing leaders. And that kind of comes, you know, kind of goes hand in hand in a sense because you can't really replace a leader unless you're reproducing leaders. Uh, otherwise, you know, things just won't go well. Um, if, if, we're, uh, if we're not, you know, producing leaders as a church, then the church will fail and eventually die away because, you know, people have to lead. There are people that have to be those that are up front, those that are leading and overseeing other ministries and things of that nature, and then they reproduce and replicate in other people. I remember uh, Barney when uh, he was overseeing the high school ministry. You know, one of the things he always would tell me is that he's always looking to pour himself out into others, you know, to replicate himself. And now he wasn't patting himself on the back or boasting about himself, but what he was saying is that his character, the things he loved about the Lord, the things that he did in ministry, he wanted to see others do. Everybody has their own personality and their own character in ministry, but ultimately we all follow Jesus, and if the leaders that we have set before us are following Jesus, then that's what we ought to do as well. So as we're looking at uh, chapter 19 in replacing leaders, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. This is after Moses died. Uh, Joshua, uh, we'll see later, had already been commissioned by Moses via the Lord uh, to be the successor to Moses. And, and now this is just a confirmation of that after Moses had passed away. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 9 says, After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the lands of the Hittites, and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people... You shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all according to the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate uh, uh, meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all according to all that is written in it, for then you will, be, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So replacing leader, a leader within the church can be a difficult thing from a human perspective. Um, as people, I think sometimes, you know, we, we tend to, unfortunately, even within the church, jockey for position. And, you know, we're always thinking we're the next great thing or the next one in line to do whatever it is that the pastor's doing or whatever it is that the other guys are doing. And we all kind of, at times, tend to feel that way. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. So, as a church, from a human perspective, it can be difficult when somebody's being replaced. 
We often choose the church we're going to attend based on the personality and teaching style of the senior pastor, right? If the pastor is upbeat, if he's whatever, and that's your personality, then you kind of flock to that. If the pastor is just black and white in terms of the Bible and the things that are going on and there's no nothing, you then maybe that's your personality and you go towards that. If the pastor is a little bit more compassionate, maybe that's what you like. But we all kind of choose our, you know, coupled with prayer as well, we kind of choose where we're going to go based on whether or not we like the teaching, whether we like the, the way things are. But really, ultimately, what should be the most important thing to all of us, no matter where we attend or where we serve, is whether or not that church and those leaders are following after Jesus Christ with their whole heart. Because everything else is, you know, whatever. You can go to a church, and if they're serving the Lord and they love the Lord, you can go and you can be like, well, it's cool, but it's not for me. And you can go to another church. But if you go to another church, that's more your style uh, and more your personality taste. And that church isn't following after Jesus Christ, then, well, you'd be better off of the church that maybe you don't like so much. With the, with the personalities and the styles you don't. But God knows where He's going to put you, what He's going to do in your life. I mean, the things that... I'm not really a touchy-feely person. I'm not really an emotional person. And coming you know, to this church, it was just, in a sense, you know, culture shock for me because the church is a little bit more you know, emotional, which is good. It taught me that through my problem being emotional was due to the hardness of my own heart and the bitterness that was within there that needed to be broken down. So that I could be softened. So the Lord knew exactly what I needed when I needed it. And brought my, me here through my wife. Which was humbling, to say the least, you know. Because we were going somewhere else. And I'm like, no, we're going to this other church. And, and she was very stubborn. And, and we praise the Lord for that, you know. It works out sometimes, you know, when they're stubborn. But not all the time. <laughs> but what happens when the pastor leaves or retires or dies? I mean, what happens in a church when that happens? What if the new guy isn't the same? What if, you know, we don't think that the new guy is the right guy and we won't follow him because we think that we're the right guy or somebody else that we know is the right guy? Then what? It happens all the time in churches. Churches split over it. You know, uh, things just happen. We need to recognize that God's the one that calls and prepares men for the work of ministry. And, you know... One of the things that I was taught going to Pasadena is if you don't like what's going on over the pulpit, then pick, you know, then you know, maybe talk to the pastor, see if you know, maybe it's something that's going on in your heart. But don't stir up division within the church. Most people like to stir up division within the church because they don't like the way things are going. Then they pick up their toys and go somewhere else, right, and play, right, and then they leave a wake of disaster at the church in their in their aftermath. And that's not the way to handle things. If we don't like the way things are going down, or we don't like, we need to talk to the people that we have problems with. We need to talk to the people we have issues with. We need to talk to the pastor. Maybe there's things going on that we think should be done differently. And when the pastor lays it down, well, we feel like the Lord is going this direction, and you don't agree, you have two choices. You can either leave and go somewhere else and not cause a problem, or you can get in line with what the Lord is doing within that body. Be a productive member of the church of Jesus Christ, right? Because that's what we all need to be. We don't need to be sniveling, whining babies. You know, we need to walk with the Lord. We need to trust that He's doing a work. And beyond that, you know, our place in that work is determined by what the Lord's put in our lives and called us to. And then our attitude of whether or not we're going we're gonna to bow to the Lord and what He desires. When Moses was about to die, he prayed for the Lord to provide a leader to replace him. In Numbers chapter 27, verse 15 through 17, Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord 
the God of the spirit uh, of the spirits of all flesh set a man over the congregation, who may go out before uh, go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out, bringing them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So Moses' heart was for the people. Moses' heart was for when he passes on, when he dies and he goes, that the people would be covered. The people would be protected. The people wouldn't scatter like sheep with no shepherd, but that they would be together. God directed Moses to Joshua because God had already been preparing Joshua to lead the people. He'd already been doing that. Preparing not only Joshua to lead the people, but the people to follow Joshua. That's important. I mean, it's one thing for somebody to be a leader and to be shoved up in front, right? But if the people aren't buying it, well, really, who are you leading? So the people had to be on board as well as Joshua. So God was preparing them both. Uh, Joshua's first mentioned in the Bible in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 14. And Amalek uh, came and fought with Israel in some place that I can't pronounce. And Moses said to Joshua, choose up some men and go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of, my, uh, of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said and fought with Amalek. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the uh, top of the hill, and so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so that they took stones and put it under him, and he said, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, and his hands were steady until uh, the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated the, uh, um, uh, Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So Joshua was chosen by Moses to lead the Israeli or Israelite army into battle against the Amalekites. Moses recognized Joshua's leadership abilities which he would need to lead them into the promised land. This was all preparation for what God had planned for Joshua's life and for the children of Israel at that time. Many of the things, the trials and the temptations of life and the things we're going through right now, many of those you know, seemingly you know, weighty things that are on our minds are all in preparation for what the Lord has for us. In, in whatever he has, whether it's ministry or whether it's, you know, our regular lives at home, you know, and ministering to our family or to our co-workers or whatever. But all this stuff is in preparation to prepare us for what God has for us. And we need to sit and we need to take that in and we need to follow it and just do as the Lord commands. Do what he has put before us, set before us. We see Joshua again in Exodus 24:13. So Moses arose and his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God. So Moses went up to the mountain to receive the 10 commandments and Joshua and there were some other elders there and they were all, you know, with him. Um, and no doubt when he came back down from the mountain, he, you know, he was there present when Moses smashed the the commandments, right? I mean, when he comes down in Exodus 32:19, so it was as soon as he came near to the camp, Moses that is that he saw the calf and the, and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them on the foot of the mountain. So Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. He was there. You know, he, he was 
privy to the things that were going on. You know, he was aware. All these things that he was going on. Because you got to remember, too, that not only was Moses preparing Joshua, but Joshua had his eyes on Moses as somebody he could look to as a leader. You know, we all have various people, you know, that over the years, I don't know how long you guys have been a Christian, I've been a Christian for a while, but going to, you know, Calvary Chapel, Pasadena, I was under, you know, various different pastors doing different things within the church, you know, in ministry, and each one of them I learned a lot of different things from coming here under the, pa- the pastors that are here. I learned things from all of them. It's invaluable. It's like, it's like a, a learning experience and an education. Things that we have to understand and things we have to know to be equipped to do things and to lead within ministry that the Lord has prepared. And so we all need to kind of take that in and we need to not only be thinking about, you know, uh, the Lord preparing us, but also seeing how God prepared other people and where he's brought them so that we can have that as an example. We have the men here, Pastor Richard and Ray and Barney and Alan and these guys, we have them here for our example. So we can see, how did the ministry come about? How do you start a ministry out of nothing? And it's not, of course, them. It's the Lord. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, you just, you just show up in Monrovia and it's like, hey, we're here. And then all of a sudden there's a church. I mean, no. There's a lot of preparation, a lot of praying, a lot of planning, things that went on prior to them ever showing up here. And God was in it. And if he wasn't, we wouldn't be here. And so we all have to keep that in mind. And we all have to look to that and see. So... Joshua followed Moses as he went to meet with the Lord in the tabernacle of meetings in Exodus chapter 33, 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's got to be awesome. <laughs> you know, he spoke to Moses as, you know, the only one better than that I can think is Enoch, right? Enoch was walking with God and they're walking in the cool of the morning and him and God were just chit-chatting and all of a sudden God's like, ah, too much fun to hang out with. Come on. And he just took him. I mean, that's, that's incredible to me. I mean, that, anyway. So Moses spoke to the Lord as man speaks face to face uh, with a friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So Joshua was aware of the way that the Lord dealt with Moses and how Moses responded to the Lord. You know, I, I mean, sure, he talked with him as a friend talks to a friend, but sometimes I talk to you guys a little disrespectfully, you know. And I'm sure it wasn't like that. You know, we joke around with each other probably a little bit more than we should. And, and you know, sometimes it gets out of hand because we're dumb. Let's face it. But I'm sure there was none of that with Moses. It was just this pure love and friendship that he had. You know, when, when, you know when you're sitting down with somebody that you really value as a friend and you're just having an awesome time talking to them, just about life and the Lord and the things that he's doing and what's going on in their life and what's going on in your life. How's your family doing? How's your family doing? You know, and... And you're just kind of communing together. It's, it's an awesome time. I mean, I know I enjoy some of those times, you know, with, with some of you guys that I hang out with. And, and it's just, it's really a neat thing. And so Moses was doing that, and Joshua sees all this going on. Wow, Moses is talking to God like they're a friend. Just like, like Joshua and Moses, just face-to-face talking. Instead, it's Moses and God, you know, just talking and chit-chatting. So Joshua and Moses was Moses' assistant. And his go-to guy, and was concerned for Moses and the ministry, which is important. You know, it's important for him to not just be concerned for Moses, but to be concerned for the ministry and the things that I'm sure he's praying for them. You know, what's going on? What what needs to be prayed for? What needs to be taken care of? Joshua would handle it. 
Numbers chapter 11, verse 28 and 29 says, So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that the Lord, Lord's people would profit, uh, were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. So Joshua was willing to take the, take, um, the instruction of Moses. And that was important too. So he comes to him and says, Hey, you call all these people to prophesy. You know, some of these other guys out in the camp are prophesying. And, and so Moses or Joshua was concerned. So he takes that to Moses. Moses tells him, Hey, look, it's no big deal. Let him do it. You know, I wish that everybody was. And Joshua's like, Okay. You know, because Joshua, like most of us, didn't have all the right answers, didn't have all the understanding that needed to be, you know, coming from the Lord. And Moses understood. Moses had the, the proper perspective that, you know, all of God's people should be prophesying. All of God's people should be doing these things. Joshua was, was chosen by Moses to be one of the 12 spies out in the land, right? Numbers chapter 13, verse 8. So 12 guys spied out the land, but only Joshua and Caleb returned with a good report. Those were the only two. Joshua saw the faithfulness of God in the life of Moses and it gave him confidence to trust the Lord. That God was going to do as he said, which was give them the land, right? Told Moses, I'm going to give you the land. And Joshua believed it. So Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report where everybody else was just like, no way. You know, don't go in there. These people are crazy. They're going to kill all of us. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 6 through 9. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of another guy's name I can't pronounce, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all of the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to, uh, to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will, uh, then he will bring us into the land and give us a land, a land that flows with, uh, with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are, are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. So Joshua was telling the other, hey, don't go giving bad reports. Let's just go. God has given us this land. He has taken the protection off of these, and now we're going in. Their protection's gone. So Joshua and Caleb were faithful to the, to the Lord because they were the only two that were allowed from that group to go into the promised land. It was, it's, it's amazing. Joshua had godly character and was tested in different areas of leadership and came through each time. Now, was Joshua perfect? No. I mean, nobody is, right? Except for Jesus. <laughs> He's the only one. But we're, nobody's perfect. So yeah, Joshua had his flaws and he had, you know, I'm sure character issues and all that stuff. But for the most part, we see that in the areas of leadership that he was given in that were put forth before him and as he was faithful with the little that he was given he was given more to take care of and as that happened well god blessed it and we see that he he was found to be faithful god knew that joshua was ready to replace moses so he's he's uh has moses ordained joshua prior to his death in, in numbers chapter 17 or 27 rather Verse 18 through 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, which is important if you're going to you know, declare somebody, you know, a man of God, you know, somebody that's going to be ordained for service. He was a man who was full of the Spirit. And lay your hands on him, set him before Eliezer the priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, 
that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word, they shall go out, and at his word, they shall come in. So Moses has given him some of his, his authority, and he says, look, at, at Joshua's word, they'll go out, and at Joshua's word, they'll come in. So they're, they're going to start following him. We're going to show them, we're going to put him before, and we're going to show him that he is going to be my successor, is what he's telling them. And so, uh, he tells them that. Um, so Moses did all as all the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before the congregation, and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord commanded by the hands of Moses. Joshua was, was again confirmed right here in Joshua chapter 1 after Moses passed away. So he was already confirmed, and now after Moses passed away, this is kind of God talking and telling Joshua, look, we're confirming you again you know, for your own peace of mind or whatever it was, but God's choice, he was God's choice after Moses' death here in Joshua chapter 1. And when Moses died, God wasn't in heaven biting his nails going, oh, man, what am I going to do? He already had a plan. He already knew. You know, God is on the throne, and when, when a man that is, you know, I mean, we saw it just recently, right, with Pastor Chuck, he passed away. And God wasn't up there biting his nails going, what am I going to do with Calvary Chapel? You know, he wasn't like that. He wasn't freaking out. He was just like, you know what, the next person in line. And I know that there was several people that were, you know, meant to come in line, and, you know, people came in from different churches, and, you know, being raised up and being trained. And, and then, you know, now what is Pastor Brian Broderson, right? He's the one that, that's heading up. Is that right? Yeah, he's the one that's heading up Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Why is that? Because God prepared him. God chose him. And, I, again, I understand that people loved Pastor Chuck. He's a great guy. I met him once. I got to get a, uh, shake his hand and, you know, get a picture with him last year. It was an awesome time, and uh, I'll never forget it, quite honestly. But everybody gets so enamored of the man that they forget about God. God is the one that's in control. God is the one who the church belongs to. So, we've had twice since he, uh, Pastor Chuck passed away, I've had a couple of men come to the church and they're looking around, oh, I don't know where to go. Oh, let me show you. So bring him in here. Well, who's the pastor here? Oh, pastor Richard Short. Well, did he sit under Chuck? I'm like, I have no idea. My, thinking to myself, what does it matter? It's called of God. You know, so what does it matter? People get so enamored of the man that if you are not part of that inner circle of that man and you didn't get raised up in that, then who are you? You're nobody. Well, no, God knows who you are. God has placed you in that place, in that position. And God has given you that, that, that leadership role. And God is the one who ordains men in the church. Not just that, but he's the one who ordains men in the world. All our presidents, not God knew. He knew what, what president we were going to have. He knew the things that were going to go on in our nation. He's not nervous. He's not worried. So, Moses laid hands on Joshua, as God had commanded him to do, so no one could doubt that Joshua was the man appointed to lead Israel after his death. Same thing with Pastor Brian, right? I mean, he is the one that Pastor Chuck had to take his place. 
And if, again, those people that go there can't handle that, then they should respectfully bow out from that church and find a church that they can go to. But don't go seeking after men. Don't seek after men that are of that same cloth that Pastor Chuck was. Go to a church where you feel the Lord is putting you and be productive. Get busy about the Lord's business because that's the only thing that we ever can do to keep ourselves out of trouble anyway. So might as well just be about the Lord's business. Going to where he, he wants us to go, sit for a while, and if that's not the church for you, but don't start church hopping. Just find a church and be productive. Get busy. God replaces leaders with those who have been tested and proven faithful. You know? I'm sure that there were many faithful men that came out of, you know, Costa Mesa. Many pastors. Maybe some that thought that they were better than Pastor Brian, right? But it doesn't matter. God is the one who anoints the man. God is the one who calls the man. In chapter 20, uh, Oswald Sanders talks about reproducing leaders, which is a lot of what we just talked about with Joshua. We're just going to kind of skim through a couple of things. I mean, you know, it's kind of going over this. There's, I mean, there's a lot of information that you can get into, but really, I mean, these things are pretty basic and pretty simple. I mean, you're, you got to replace leaders at some point. How do you do that? you got to produce leaders in order to replace leaders. How do you do that? And what kind of examples do we have? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Paul writing says, You therefore, my son, talking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in you, in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit... Commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's important for us to instruct future leaders in the church by teaching them the Word of God, right? It's important. It's important for us to do that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, And seeing the multitudes, he went up to the mountain, that being Jesus. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So we see that example through Jesus even with the future leaders, you know, the disciples, you know. I mean, he was there and he was teaching them. It's important for us to live out what we teach also. I think it's almost more important for us to live it out in some respects because we can call ourselves a Christians and live like devils, you know, and people see us and it's like, dang. I mean, have you ever had that happen? I've had that happen before and it doesn't make you feel good when you're out in the world. People know that you're a Christian and and because you're talking to them and they or or you're just not doing the things they're doing and they look at you and they what's wrong with you what's uh, something different and you start talking about things the Lord oh I get it now oh, you're one of those Jesus people you know Bible thumpers like no not exactly but okay you know whatever you kind of grin and bear it it's like whatever and so anyway you're sitting there and you know you do something that is you know hopefully out of character and they're the first ones to look at you and go I thought you were a Christian. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, sorry, man. I, you know what? I just, I just, I lost, my, I lost my temper, or uh, that's not the way I normally am, and I probably couldn't convince you of that, but it happens. You know, I'm human, and so it's important for us as Christians to live it out. Barney always talks about how, you know, he sees people everywhere. You know, from church, from school. You know, from the neighborhood where he sees people while he's driving. He's like, he's always careful. He's driving his car. He's being a good example, you know. 
I've seen him on the freeway, and I just laugh. I'm like, ah, that's exactly what he's talking about, you know? And, and he's just he's just putting along, and, you know, you kind of honk at him to kind of get his attention to wave, and he thinks that it's somebody that's, you know, like sitting there and trying to get all mad at him for going too slow, and he doesn't even look. He just keeps driving, you know? And then you get up next to him, and he kind of notices you're kind of next, and he goes like this, oh, yeah, you know? And it's like, oh, and then he keeps on driving. He's just whatever, man. His mind isn't even on getting in the flesh about stuff like that. Which is cool. You know, I, I always tell, I teach the high school, and so I always tell the high schoolers, I don't put Christian bumper stickers or anything like that on my car because I know how I drive. You know? I, I just know. And it's, it's the last thing I want to do is be a bad example in that way. You know? And, and it's kind of funny. And, and not at the same time. So, I mean, but John, in John chapter 12, verse 13 through 17 we see how an example is supposed to be. So when he, meaning Jesus, had washed the disciples' feet, he had taken his garments and sat down again, and he said to them, do you know what it is I have done to you? And I'm sure they were all like, yeah, you washed their feet. You know? But he's like, look, do you know what I've done to you? He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say well, for so am I. So I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's right feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done or have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You know, uh, to me, you know, Jesus gives us an awesome example of what it means to be a servant leader. Right? I mean, he is just serving. Because that is what a leader is. A leader is a servant. Somebody who is willing to do things, you know, and, and, you know, as we see, you know, Jesus took the time to teach his disciples valuable truths, some of which his disciples didn't get or understand, you know, and which is fine because neither would we if we were there. But Jesus didn't only teach his disciples verbally. He also lived his life by example. He lived out what it was that he taught. Jesus never asked his disciples to do anything that he wasn't willing to do first. And you'll know and you'll see that in leaders. In the church, you know, uh, you know, not going to call out Pastor Richard on some of the things that I've seen him do around here that most of us would say, I'm not doing that, you know, because I don't want him to pat himself on the back or anything. So I'm just going to say that I've seen him do some things that I look and I say, dang. It inspires me and makes me want to do things more. You know, because Jesus being our example of how we ought to be and how we ought to take care of things and how we ought to be leaders and how we ought to serve one another, how much more the pastors of the church on down, right? If you didn't see any of the pastors or any of the leaders within the church doing anything, you know, and they were just kind of, oh yeah, oh, you forgot a piece of paper over there. Oh yeah, the parking lot's dirt. You should go clean that, you know? And they're ordering everybody around. I mean, you would think to yourself, you got to be kidding. What kind of church did I come to? You know, I mean, I'm here to serve the pastors only, and, and they don't do it. You know, but we don't have that here, which is a blessing because everybody gets their hands dirty. I know when the, the church was uh, just coming here, you know, and, and even in, you know, the Krikorian and over in the community center, people were folding chairs and tables and all these guys. Everybody here that was there was folding chairs, cleaning up trash, left the community center and the Krikorian better than the way they found it, you know? And it was an example and a testimony 
to those places, to the city, to where now the Lord has given you know, the church favor with the city. You know, and the things that go on here in this building. I know they had a city council meeting a little over a year ago, or maybe a little bit more than that, and the city hadn't been here since you know, the re- some of the renovations have gone on, and they walked in and their mind was blown. Like, you had to be kidding. This was a stinky, smelly gym and a tool place before that. How is it this? And they were blown away. And God has given the church favor because of the faithfulness of those who are willing to serve and be servant leaders. Those within the church. Leaders are to reproduce themselves by teaching and by example. Having said that, what type of leaders are we producing, right? What kind? Are we producing leaders that are self-reliant or those that are led by the Spirit? Do we have a bunch of narcissists? It's all about me, you know? Look at my Facebook page and all my selfies, you know? It's all about me. Is that what we're producing as, as a church? Or those that are serving in the background that don't look or seek for glory? You know, the, the most, one of the most thankless, thankless things you can do at the church is probably be an usher or you know, somebody who works the parking lot because those people go unseen, you know? And they do things that are vital for the church. You know, you, you walk into the bathroom of this church and it is clean. Now, did everybody get together and pray over all the dirt and disgust and it just kind of went away? Or did somebody actually say, okay, well, now that we prayed, let's go in and clean it? There's people that clean. People that vacuum. People that set up. People that clean the parking lot, you know, so that there aren't cigarette butts everywhere and, you know, trash and filth. People that do things behind the scenes. What kind of leaders are we producing? Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I really like this because I think it really speaks to you know, what we as, as leaders trying to reproduce ourselves should be thinking. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So in other words, if I'm not imitating Christ, stay away. Don't follow me. Don't even bother doing what I'm doing because I'm not doing what I should be doing. But as I follow Christ, Paul would say, follow me. And that should be our life. That should be what we desire to do as, as leaders, to reproduce those who are going to follow after Christ as we are showing them how to follow after Christ. Leaders that are following Jesus and being led by the Spirit are the ones that we ought to be following. You know, I, I can tell you with all sincerity that if the, the pastors within this church were not servant leaders, I would not be coming here. And, and I'll just say that plainly because that's just the way I am. You know, if I don't see it coming from the pulpit, then I don't see it and I'm not staying. And I see it. And I think it's an awesome example. It's a testimony to the things that the Lord wants to do within this church and within the body of Christ as, as a whole. One day you guys as men and myself, maybe we'll be here, maybe we'll be at another church and we'll be productive there, whatever it is that we're doing. But you guys are being trained up to do ministry the right way. The way that God has intended for us to do it being servants, being those kind of servants that are reproducing leaders that are willing to serve Christ with their whole heart and not serve themselves and not take the credit. Nothing worse than doing something and then patting yourself on the back and telling everybody that you did it so they can pat you on the back. Nothing worse than that. 
Our desire should be to produce leaders who trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But if we're not living out what it is that we believe, then we can't expect the leaders that we're producing to do that either. They're going to be flighty. You know, we're going to tell them, you know, guys, you really need to be here at a certain time. You really need to serve the Lord. You, need, you know, we, we don't goof around. We don't do this. And, we, you know, when, when ministry's going on and then all of a sudden they see us goofing around and doing stuff, and it's like, really? <laughs> what are they going to do? And they're going to sit there and they're going to do the same thing that their leader's doing because, you know, we reproduce ourselves. You are like those you hang out with. I think my grandmother used to tell me that. You hang out with troublemakers, you're going to be a troublemaker. And sure enough, I hung out with troublemakers, you know. And then I started hanging out with Christians, and then I got weird, you know, and I started being a Christian, you know. And then it's like, well, I liked you better as a troublemaker, you know. Not really. She, she, she loved me, and she was great, you know, but she was a blessing. But really, we are who we hang out with. What kind of people are we hanging out with? Are we hanging out with the kind of people that are going to build us up or tear us down? People that we can build up? People that maybe can build us up in our time of need. You know, as a leader, you're not always sitting there, you know, walking on cloud nine. Sometimes you need people to encourage you and to come alongside you as well. Well, if you're encouraging people and leading people and reproducing people who are godly and have godly character, then when the time comes when they see your need, they're going to jump on it and they're going to encourage you. Because that's what they were trained to do. And that's what the Lord desires. You can't plant apple seeds and expect to get orange trees, right? Doesn't happen. Never. Paul was a spiritual father to Timothy and a godly example. Timothy not only listened to Paul, but watched his life. Because of that, he was willing to receive from Paul and go out and disciple others to become leaders. That's what he was doing. Paul was telling him, hey, look, you know, I've entrusted you with this stuff that you've not only heard, but you have seen. Now you go out and entrust it to godly men who will do the same. Who's telling you, look, go out and do the same thing you saw me do. Reproducing leaders. There's no do as I say and not as I do philosophy of ministry. You will never find that. And if you do, run from it. You know, you can't have people tell you what to do and not be willing to do it themselves. If we're not living it, then, you know, honestly, those around us won't live it either. We have to live it out. Because reproducing leaders isn't an easy thing to do because it takes time and requires sacrifice. It takes not only time for you to pour, you know, the word into people, but also to pour time into people so that they have time to see your example. And then you have time to pour out all the things that you have learned into their lives so that they can begin to go out and replicate those same things. We have to see the spiritual value in pouring out to others, coming alongside others, you know, being an example to them. Because things have been poured out to us. You know? We need to be willing. We need to be willing to accept it when leaders are replaced, and we need to be able to accept it that we need to reproduce leaders that are are after God's image. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for just your blessings, Lord. 
Thank You for everything that You do for us, Lord. Thank You that You are here with us, God. Thank You for the godly men that we have that lead this church, God, that, Lord, reproduce themselves, God, as they follow You. We know it's not about them, God. We know it's not about us as leaders or anything, Lord, but it's all about Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we just thank You. And we know, Lord, that You desire for us to be men, Lord, that are willing to sacrifice ourselves, Lord, in order to pour out our our hearts and our lives to the the people around us. Those that we come in contact with, God, that they would know, Lord, what it means to be a leader so that they can go out and do the same, Lord. So that your church would grow and flourish, Lord, that your people would be blessed. God, that they would be blessed in order to go out and reach the lives of the lost, which is ultimately what we're supposed to be doing. But if nobody's out there doing that, there's nobody to see them do it, and there's nobody to be an example. There's nobody to go out and continue that. And so we ask, God, that you would, Lord, help those that are laboring, God, to bring alongside of them those who desire to labor, Lord, that you may be glorified and you may receive all the honor and glory due your name. We thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.